Thank you for listening to the Bible preaching ministry of Dr. Tim Pollock at the Home Church of Lodi, California. You can get more information about our church and about starting a relationship with Jesus Christ at www.thehomechurch.net. Our prayer is that this message from God's Word will renew your heart and mind today. Good morning, brothers and sisters. What a wonderful day. Praise the Lord. We are excited to be here today, and today we are here to give glory to the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. It's been a great week here at the Home Church, especially for Life Training Academy. And, uh, both our largest graduation, both of the little kindergarten and college graduation of the Northern Grade, and then for the 12th grade, we have a hybrid school program. Twelve beautiful teams up here, and what a blessing to have a distinctly Christian school in such a world of business. So we are here at Praise of the Lord. Sermon on the Mount. That's what our message is here this morning. Let's go this morning to Matthew chapter 6. This morning's uh, theme our 21st part of this message. Not sure how much more we get to the end of the message. Sermon on the Mount. Our message this morning is Watch Out for a Spirit of Worldliness in the Choices to Make. Spirit of worldliness. We live in a plastic Pretty much everything we have has some plastic Scientists say that 50% of new automobiles are actually plastic. So, forward. Eyeglasses, plastic. Computers, mostly plastic. Clothing, enough of it, plastic. The medical world use plastic. They even have replacement body parts now that are made out of plastic. The aluminum cans that we have, yes, a portion of them are often plastic. That toothpaste that some of you use, yes, has plastic in it. The wood furniture that you bought, very possible, plastic. The leather seats you ordered for your car, yes, it's possible. It's just a hybrid Plastic is both a miracle and a menace, to be sure. 400 million tons of plastic waste every year. But not only is much of the, quote, wood plastic, and not only is much of the leather plastic, and not only is much of, as many of the jewels a form of plastic, and the metals that we see a form of plastic. The fact of the matter is, this world and its philosophies are also plastic. It is a phony world we live in. We have been lied to, gone, and manipulated, and it is so bad, it is hard to even know truth from heaven. Well, 2,000 years ago, our Lord Jesus hit squarely on the subject of plastic. Although he didn't call it that, many years later we know that it is in fact just not Something real is just plastic. The mindness of the day was focused on external, not the real thing. 
I will tell you there is no temptation that Satan uses that is any stronger and has any pure hold on the heart and the mind and the life of a person for that of glory. The amazing Sermon on the Mount, our gracious Lord, has been warning us in a wide array of concerns. There are so many things he said that can destroy your death life. Now he proceeds to warn us about coveting the temporary nature, the practical nature of this world. Be very, very careful at the treasures you do, because it might just be the plastic, the fake of the world. So, this morning, we're going to choose God to be our master, not the treasures of this world. I thought to pay attention today. A minister wound up his services one Sunday morning saying, Now, next Sunday, I am going to preach on the subject of liars. And in this connection, in preparation for next week's discourse, I would like each of you to read the 17th chapter of the Book of Mark. Now, the next Sunday, the preacher stood up, began. He said, now, I want to begin by asking you, you did as I requested, I would like to ask, did you read the 17th chapter of Mark? Would you raise your hand, please? Nearly the entire congregation raised their hand. The pastor said, well, you are just the people I want to talk to today. There is no 17th chapter of Mark. Well, we're going to turn to the Book of Matthew chapter six, and I, there he is in Matthew chapter six here this morning. I uh, encourage us now to ask God to give peace to our hearts. This message is really a transformative. I hope you'll just receive it in your spirit. Father, tonight, teaching the Lord, Lord, I just grateful that you could give us the teaching on this. May we pay attention. May we get that. Young and old. That each one of us might understand who our master is and what true treasure is. Help us, Lord, to focus on the right things and just trust and to Jesus Matthew chapter 6, we're going to begin in just a moment, verse 19. But as we're getting there, or reading it from the overhead here, our 32nd President of the United States of America. Franklin Delano Roosevelt understood the power of the Bible, of religion, and in particular, Sermon on the Mount. Listen to this wonderful quote from our former president. No greater blessing could come to our land today than a revival of the spirit of religion. Can you imagine our current administration saying something like that? I doubt if there's any problem in the world today, social, political, or economic, that would not find a happy solution if approached in the spirit of the Sermon on the Mount. So the Sermon on the Mount is such a powerful, amazing document in its own. So let's go to verse 19. We're going to read out loud a public reading of God's Word. That's what Paul Recommended to Timothy at the church's do that we should read scriptures together out loud. This is something that churches have been doing for the last 2,000 years. So let's read it together. 
He said, don't spend all of your time, all of your focus, all of your energy, all of your passion in making sure that you have earthly friends. He said, it's so typical of the world. And that's not how a person who is a kingdom liver ought to live. You ought to be different than that. So he says, don't lay up for yourself treasures upon earth. Now, I think it would be good to clarify at this moment some things that the Bible says about treasures, material goods, earthly things. God never says that having anything earthly, even a lot of earthly things, is wrong. In fact, there are places where God even promises to give earthly blessings. He's not meaning that it's wrong to get paid well. He's not saying it's wrong to have investments and have those investments do well. He's not saying it's bad to have a savings or anything like that. In fact, Proverbs gives us some insight into that. Wonderful wise Solomon, Proverbs chapter 6. He told some very important people that maybe what you need to do is go back to school. Nature is true. It'll teach you a lot. A few weeks ago, Leslie Bride and I were in beautiful Golden, Colorado. While we were there, we drove by a famous university known as the Colorado School of Science. It's one of the foremost colleges, universities of science and engineering. Well, here in this passage, Solomon has also a school. It's not a school of science. He said it's a school of the intellect. He said, I want you to go to the end. Notice what it says. Proverbs chapter 6 and verse 6. Go to the end. Thou sluggard. God Consider her ways and be wise. This was one hard work as she is. Go to the end. Consider her ways, which, having no overseer or guide or bait, provided meat in the summer and this gathering is a good thing. There's nothing wrong with gathering and thanking it for the winter because winters come. Because they come, God says, you need to gather it while you can. God never condemns having nice things. A Dalit who lives in India, Pastor Mike often tells us about, who lives on maybe a couple dollars a day, if that, he is no more inherently spiritual than a doctor who makes $200 an hour, for example, in Lodi. God is not saying one lifestyle inherently is more godly than another. In fact, the Apostle Paul shed light on this matter in 1 Timothy chapter 6. Here, Paul said this. He said, everything that we have is due to a living God who blesses us. He said, the living God who giveth. By the way, never ever imagine that somehow it's our own brains or our own strength or our own skills. Now, yes, we can work hard, and yes, we ought to, but it's always at the hand of God. He gives us, and notice what it says, He gives us this. He gives us all things. God gives us he just loads us up richly with things. God is not opposed to us having things. And he says to enjoy. There's nothing wrong with enjoying life. The principle then is not about owning things. The caution that Jesus gives is not about having 
treasure. He's saying that the problem is, is when those treasures own you. Now, sometimes the things that we own, own us, are big things, like a house or a boat or a job or something like that. It is so all-consuming, we basically think about it and live about it. I mean, just non-stop, that's what owns it. But it can be small things, too. I can tell you, strangely, there are small things that sometimes are my attention. Like, for example, my kids. Growing up, I should say, when the kids were growing up, I had my chair. When it was time to come into the living room, I would want to go to my chair. If one of the kids was in my chair, I would boot him out and I would get in my chair. One day I got convicted about that. I thought to myself, why in the world? And I honestly get a little irritated because you know that's my chair. That's my chair. That's where I sit. I'm the dad and I sit in my That's my chair. Holy Spirit convicted me one day and said, that's not your chair. It's my chair. You ought to share it. So, there being the great Christian that I am, I took my little fingers off of that chair one at a time. All right, Lord, I'll give you that chair. So, from that time forward, I think they pretty much still let me have my chair because they knew a terrible attitude I had. But the fact of the matter is, I will tell you, I purpose that they sat, if someone sat in my chair, it didn't make any difference. Now, one Christian author gave a sevenfold test. How to know when something that you have is actually got your number. You're no longer owning it. It's you. Let me give you that test. Number one, first question, when you need that thing as a major source of happiness or fulfillment. Number two, when you can't imagine living with Number three, when that possession is the first thing you think about in the morning and the last thing you think about at night. And when you wake up in the middle, when you find yourself thinking about it at every spare moment. And then next, when you find yourself bringing up in almost every conversation. Number six, when you get that if someone else touches it or comes near your face. Finally, number seven, you enjoy that thing. This is important. You enjoy that thing more than you like being in church or reading your Bible. What then is Jesus cautioning? If treasures are wrong, if things are given to us richly to enjoy, then what was Jesus actually meaning by laying out up treasures for himself? Well, if you all Pay attention for just a moment. Let's go a little deeper. Let's go to the original language. I'm going to do a long, drawn out Greek study here. I really could do that anyway, although I'm grateful for all the wonderful Bible study tools are out there. Now, although we don't see it in the English, if you were to get out a Greek lexicon, you would find out that the first three words of verse 19 are as follows. Give you the spelling first, and then I'll try to pronounce it as it's supposed to be pronounced. The word is Sakarito. 
spelled T-H-E-S-A-U-R-I-D-O. If you're looking at that word, you'll see the word thesaurus. We get our word thesaurus from it means present. So here's what the first three words are in the Greek New Testament lexicon. Thesaurizo, they, thesaurizo. So here's where that actually means. Interesting, because God is saying the word treasure twice. Now, in the English version, any English version, they've ever used treasure twice. But here is how it is actually been read. What God is saying is, don't stop treasuring your treasure. Stop treasuring treasure. He uses treasure twice. So the problem is not having treasure, it's treasuring treasure. Do you treasure your treasure? Do you salvarito? Make salvarito. That's what it is. Do you treasure treasure? When you treasure treasure, then you no longer possess what you have. It possesses you. And if that's the case, then it's Apollo 13 all over again. Houston, we've got a problem. When we see wealth as an end in itself, rather than as a means to an end, we have begun to treasure treasure. Jesus wasn't saying, don't have treasure. He was saying, when you have treasure, just don't treasure it, use it. Do something with it. May it be a blessing. Like God told Abraham, I'm going to bless you. But just so you remember, I'm making you a blessing, so you'll be a blessing. That's the key, is not just so you can enjoy the blessing. Although that's not all in itself. Get the real thing. Don't settle for plastic. Jesus is saying. He is saying, don't treasure, treasure. That would be like loving plastic, thinking it's some kind of special metal, but it's not. It's just veneer. If you're wanting oak, don't get oak veneer. If you're wanting diamonds, don't get cubic Get something real. Everything we have in reality is not ours anyway. We're just stewards and managers. That's what Peter said in 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 10. We are all stewards, managers of the manifold grace of God. Now that grace of God brings us riches of love. That grace of God brings us the riches of truth and wisdom. There are all kinds of riches. But that manifold grace of God brings us all kinds of food, all kinds of clothing, Places to stay and go and enjoy. Aren't we grateful for the manifold grace of God? It's wonderful. But God said, you need to be a good steward. A manager. God didn't say it's just indiscriminately given for whatever reason. I love how the 19th century great minister there in London, England, Charles Spurgeon, addressed this matter of stewardship. Listen to what he said. Our being upset losing the things that we have. Our being upset would not be half so sharp if we always view things as having been lent to us. A man does not cry when he has to return a tool that he borrowed. Does anybody here get upset when you have to return a tool that you borrowed? You're like, okay, your tool, I, I have no problem. Everything we have is God. It's just been lent to us. So, if God 
takes it back, and we have to admit, of just taking back what you lend it to Red stuff can only last so long. Then it goes. Quite a bit of concern today about inflation, possibility of recession. That's understandable. Really getting kind of crazy. The fact of the matter is, life always is up and down and coming. They say a couple of years ago when the bottom fell out of the oil market, you remember that now, of course, it's still But maybe it was during COVID, I'm not sure. But they say a woman was walking down the street to Houston, Texas. She heard a little noise on the ground, and she heard a voice coming from there. And there on the ground, believe it or not, was a talking frog. She picks up that frog, and the frog says, she said, why should I kiss you? Well, she said, that frog said to him, she said, I am a Texas oil man. I've been turned into a frog. If you'll kiss me, I'll turn back into a Texas oil So she took that frog and she put him in her purse. Her friend said, why didn't you kiss him? She said, I'd rather have a talking frog than a Texas oil man any day. Yeah. Oil prices come and go, but a talking frog, that's what's up, I think. Quit treasuring treasure. Lay up for yourselves treasure in heaven. Now let's go to verse 20. He clarifies this. Now, lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven. Where moth, rust doesn't trust it, thieves can never break through the steel. Jim Elliott. Wonderful missionary who took the gospel to the Aka Indians in South America who died at their hands. In the prime of his life, had written in the fly leaf of his Bible from You've heard him before. Let me share with you because I think it gives light of what we're talking about. Here's what he said No man is a fool who gives what he cannot keep to give. That's called treasures in heaven. And that's exactly what our Lord is talking about. Now, how can we have treasures in heaven? Well, we get treasures in heaven by laying a godly foundation. That's what Paul said. First Timothy chapter 6 and verse 19. He said, Timothy, tell the people to lay up a godly foundation against the time to come. This time to come now. We may lay up a little savings for a recession, but he said the truth is that the most important thing to lay up for is eternal life. That's the ultimate edge. People say all the time, well, Pastor, you can't take money with you. Well, that is true, but you can send it on ahead. How do you send your money on ahead to heaven? How do you lay up treasures in heaven? How do you actually do that? Well, you have to invest in something that's going to happen. What are the things that are going to happen? Well, the Word of God is eternal. It's certainly going to be eternal. But I will tell you something else. As far as I know, there's only two things that are eternal that are going to be in heaven, and that is the Word of God and soul. Those two things are eternal. That's why we should invest our money in things that propel the Word of God and things that win souls. My friend, that sounds like a gospel New Testament soul winning church like the home church. 
We ought to give our resources and land treasures. And then on ahead, I read a couple weeks ago a story about a young lady who tragically passed away from Virginia. Amazing story, really. I'm sure she she was in a serious collision. The police came to the scene and it was such a horrific accident. Seeing they had a hard time finding out who the lady was, what her name was. They wanted to be able to notify the next of kin, and so they began to peek through the accident scene there and found the bankers' purse. They began to go through their personal things and they came across a thing. There they were able to get her name and put them together. By the family, including her fiance. Of course, he was broken hearted. The police officer, after expressing his condolences, said something to this. He said, You know, I had to look at a bank statement and try to find her name and contact me. And as I was doing so, I was especially trying to look, but I must admit, I went down to her deposits and her withdrawals, and there I kept noticing a particular debit, and it was to a church, a certain church, the same church, over and over again, and frankly, a considerable and consistent amount. He looked at that fiance, he said, it was striking, it was remarkable for this young lady to have to do this. What kind of a young lady? And here's that fiance said again, I tell you, she was an amazing person. So now the reason I ask that story is this. If something, God forbid, if that was to happen to you, and if they were to be looking through our effects, and if they were to try to find out who we were and what was important to us, by looking at our bank statements and looking at the things of our life, where would they find our Where would they find that we had treasured so much? The things of this world or the things of heaven? The great, one of the richest men, one of the greatest, richest men that has ever lived was Solomon. They say that his wealth was put to change as far as his greatness anybody even to even those that are multi-billionaires. Listen, listen to what he said in Proverbs chapter 11, verse 4. He said, Riches profit not in the day of death. I mean, it makes no difference how rich we are if you stand before God and His wrath is poured on us. Even our Lord in Luke chapter 16 gave a tragic problem. Luke chapter 16, he talks about a rich man. Again, nothing wrong with being rich, nothing wrong with having much stuff. But it is a bad thing if we let that take us to hell. Notice what Scripture says. It says, in hell. He lifted up his eyes. A rich man in hell. I will tell you, morning, friends, sadly, even wealthy people, I will also tell you that wealthy people might die, when they die, if they don't have Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, then they also will go to hell. If a person doesn't know Jesus Christ, that's where the problem is. 
chapter, verse number 20. Look what he says here. He said, On earth, moth and rust doth corrupt. They corrupt. They begin to lose their strength and their power and their energy, and they begin to dissipate away. How much of the things that we treasure are incorruptible? What part of our life is incorruptible? What part is corruptible? First Peter chapter four, verse first Peter one, verse number four. It says, "An inheritance incorruptible and undefiled that fadeth not away, reserved in heaven for you." Incorruptible. Rust can't corrupt it. Moth can't break through and eat it. He was cleaning uh, one of my shirts. I love that shirt. And uh, she brought it to me and she said, Do I, is there something I need to know about this shirt? And I laughed. I said, It is a real strange situation. That particular shirt had something on it. And she said, Why? What, what's going on? It was a black shirt. It was kind of a shirt I, I really love, felt good, and I used it off of the person. And there, that's a, that's a particular description of that. I'm telling my story about my wife here. I think it came out of in the back. Anyway, so she, I said, she said, why do you have stuff people on this shirt? And well, it had a hole in it, and I'm too cheap to buy another shirt. So thank you, Steve. So I just about ready to get about ready to get irritated. Just about a second here. You won't. You you won't like me when I'm angry. I'll tell you right now. So, so what I did with that black shirt was I put duct tape on the inside. Nobody, nobody got it. That's the one thing. And on the outside, where the awful was, I just took a black one and uh, colored that duct tape right there. Nobody ever knew that. And she got, she married me. She said, "You crazy?" And uh, I said, "I know." I love that shirt, for sure. Verse number 21, for where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. It is a scientific law, like the needle on the compass. It always, the load always goes to the north. Notice in our prayer room the other day, we have a key, very lovely, deep plant. But it's very clear that plant loves the sun because all of the leaves are outside. My friend, the same thing is true. Our heart follows our treasure. David Livingston was an amazing and grateful missionary to Africa. He spent his life serving God in Africa. He loved 
hope. He won so he gave his life. He often said that when he died, he wanted his heart buried in Texas. When he died, they did in fact take his body back to his beloved homeland of England. But there in Texas, and to this day, there is actually one. The heart of that dear man of God, David Lewis, was buried at the foot of a tall tree in a small They placed his heart where he had all his treasure. That's it is place. If your heart was to be buried in the place you treasure most, where? Where would they bury your heart? A.K.F. paid his bill at a exclusive hotel. He saw a reminder posted at the door as he was leaving. Have you left anything? He remarked to the manager, Sir, that sign is wrong. He said, What do you mean it's wrong? He said, That sign should be. Have you anything left? After that, if you've been on vacation at all, you'll know. Have you anything left? But the statement is a vivid, a vivid example of what life is. Many people come to the end of their life, and frankly, they have nothing left. They have that empty, candid feeling, having spent everything on themselves. They have nothing to go. Sad to say, for many of you, the truth is no, I have nothing left. I've spent it all myself. I read an interesting story this week about a man who lived in a home with a highly visible, accessible front. Very prone to sin. He was especially tired of the important time, having been hit numerous times. So he decided to play a little game on the front. He took his garbage, he took his paper, he took his trash, he took his kitchen plate, and he put them in an Amazon box and he closed it up. He put it on his front porch, there, close to where people would walk. Invariably, he said people would come by, look this way, look that way. He could view them from his porch camp. They would then grab the box and run away and go to their home. They had only owned open up a big old box of When I read that, I must admit, I think that's what the devil does. The devil takes the garbage of this world, he takes it, he puts it in the box, and he wraps it up, and he makes it so good. We look at that, we grab it, we run off many times. At the end of our destination, we open it up, only to realize we spent all of our life, and we put all of our effort in something that was nothing but a bunch of garbage possible. Well, we want to continue on. Number one, possess real treasure. Where's your heart? Number two, possess real treasure. Where's your focus? Now, in these verses, you have to keep your wits about you. You want to get a good understanding. The light of the body is the eye. But therefore, thine eye be single, thy whole body should be full of light. Now, when he's talking about the eyes, he's not talking about the physical eyes. It's an illustration. 
talking about the eye of the soul, the mindset, the focus, the you know the goals of the mind. The physical eye lets in light. It's the light that enables us to see. A spiritual eye lets in the light of God, so that we can know who is who. Have you ever wondered why some people you give them truth that they still are like blind? They don't have a single eye. an expert in a single eye. The difference between a single eye that's focused on God and left in the light of God and a sinful eye that's just. He said, if your eye is single, your eye is full of light. A single eye is a focus. Focus on Jesus. Focus on the Word of God. Focus on truth. Apostle Paul said it wisely in 1 Corinthians chapter 2. He said, I determined, I focus, to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. He said, I have preached on a whole lot of topics, but I will tell you, I keep focus. My lodestone of my life is Jesus Christ. I keep focus on that. He told the church of Philippi, similar, chapter 3, verse 13, he said, this one thing, this one thing I do. Extremist? Fashion? No. Biblical. He had his mind focused on Jesus. He was Mr. Johnny Wonder. You know the old story. The man playing the cello. His hand was fixed on the throat of the instrument, not moving it. Someone looked at him and said, you know, it's strange. You don't move your fingers up and down like the others who play that instrument. You just hold your fingers in your He said, well, that's because they're looking for the note. I've already found it. Johnny one note. Well, I will tell you folks, I found my note. And that is Jesus Christ. And I plan on playing that string all the way to the end. I playing that string. And that's what Paul said. He said, this one string that I play, this one thing, other people can go up and down the field if they want. God said, if your eye be single, one note, never go beyond the Bible, and your life will be full of light. But pastor, what if people think you're ignorant? Don't really care. But pastor, what if people think you're intolerant? I don't really care. There's something wonderful about being free and clear from the fear of man. There's something amazing about saying, Jesus is my Lord. The Bible is the truth that I go by. That's what the Lord wants us to live. God wants us to live with clarity. Well, we don't have to give anything to the world. We don't have to give anything to the craziness of this whole filthy world. I don't care what they say. I don't care what their science says. I'm focused on one thing, and that lets you live with clarity. Here's what happens, verse 23. If you don't live that way, then you open yourself up to a world of your eye be evil. My whole body shall be full of blood. It affects everything. It affects marriages. It affects your finances. It affects your health. If therefore the light that is in thee is dark, and if you then enter into that, if you give yourself to that, how great is that? Did I say that verse pretty much describes our country right now? How great is the darkness? How great is that darkness? There's a whole lot of talk right now about misinformation. 
our present administration has even recommended that we come up with an entirely new governmental department that supposedly is going to help mitigate this I have no problem with a program like that. But I know it's not going to work. Why? Because they don't understand if you don't understand truth, how can you have a benchmark for what is wrong? What is wrong? I mean, it's impossible. You've got to know God. You've got to know wisdom. You've got to know truth to be able to judge what isn't true. But God says they don't have that. They have a sinful eye. Therefore, they live in darkness. How great is the darkness? It, it is dark inside of their mind. When you think you have the information, then you find out you're incorrect. You know, I mean, that's one thing you can work with it. What if, as God says here, you know truth, you choose a simple life, you become dark in your understanding, and then you push that on others? He said, how great is that darkness? Your darkness is multiplied. You're an evil eye. God said, how great is that darkness? This Friday night, as I mentioned, we had a wonderful graduation experience. Twelve wonderful 12th graders, home educated, hybrid, home education system. They have, uh, they're all going on to do such a new job, pursuing careers, starting businesses, some will even go to a college. I recommend going to a secular college. But if they did, let's say that for some reason they decided to buy into all the secular junk that worldly mindset. That happens, and if they lose their single eye on Jesus, then get a sinful eye on the world, they will have a blurry vision. And that blurry vision is so bad how in the darkness because they won't even know there's a God. That's what's happened to this world. In fact, not only do they not know there is a God, many who are in the dark think they're in the light. It's just like that the old prophet said in the book of Judges, Judges chapter 17, verse number 6. Every man did in that day that which was right in his own I want to point out they did not do that which was evil. They did that which they thought was right. They had, they were so dark that their morality had was skewed, off the chart wrong. They did not do wrong. They did right. Somebody today in America convinced themselves that they are right. Jesus said, "You know what those people are like." He said, those people are like blind people leading other blind people and they both fall into the ditch. Knowledge is proud because it knows so much. Truth is humble because it knows so little. Knowledge is learned. Truth is given by God. Knowledge comes by looking around and truth comes by looking around. Make sure today that your focus is truth. Make sure that your treasure is Christ. The fact that you're here today or the fact that you're joining us online tells you that there's some 
good there. You your heart is focused on that which is true. There are three important principles that bind these verses. Number one, possess real faith. Two, possess real truth. And then the third possession, and that is real trust. And I think we can ask the question, where is your loyalty? Who are you trusting? What are you trusting? Verse 24, no man can serve two masters. No person can have two masters. You either hate the one and love the other, or else you will hold the one cannot serve God and You cannot serve God and mammon. Now, why did God not use the word money for mammon? Which, in daily or any translation, it was translated by One of the reasons why I love the King James for that, a very accurate according to the Hebrew translation, because that's the word that God used, mammon. It's actually not a Hebrew word, it's a Greek word. It is a Syriac word. It has other meanings as well. But it is not just money, although it should be translated as money. You cannot serve God and possessions. You cannot serve God and money. You've got to pick one or the other. It doesn't mean you can't have God and money. It doesn't mean you can't have God and possessions. It means you've got to. All, one always has to be the boss. Here he says, you cannot serve two masters. You cannot serve God and mammon. Mammon actually is the goodness to the God that they worship. It was the Syrian God that they worship. The God of wealth, the God of success, the God of money. Jesus said there is a spiritual God Money has a spirit. It really is. It has an unusual office. People will die for money. They will do anything. It just they consume it. They jump off a building just to some story. Money has a spirit. It's just such an amazing thought. Because it's something different. To you cannot touch both God and the spirit of money. You cannot break that. There is a spirit of greed. There is a spirit of money. And you have got to decide somewhere along the line who is your master? Is it the Holy Spirit or is it the spirit of the Jesus, the fact, referring to is who is your curiosity? The master. The word curiosity or Lord or absolute Lord, by the way. Absolute Lord. Who is your absolute Lord? You will notice. He does not say you can serve both. He said it, you can't do it. You have to make a choice. You have to decidedly say, be in charge. Everything is yours. Someone said, well, I don't buy into all this master slave stuff that sounds kind of long to me. I'm not going to make God my master. Nobody tells you what to do. Well, sad to say, because actually everybody serves somebody or something. Paul said it very wisely in the book of Romans chapter 6. He said, if you serve sin, if you are, if you sin, then you serve it. You serve the results of it. You say, I'm free to do as I want. Well, yes, you are. You don't know what we're not free to do. We're not free to pick up consequences. That's what God says here. He said the real deal is Jesus. 
Jesus served him, served God. That's why Jesus said in Matthew chapter 4, Thou shalt serve the Lord thy God in him. Make certain that you do the word of the wealth. Make certain, certain that you be the Savior over your faith. Make sure that you choose that which is holy and right. Because notice what he says in the last part of that verse. He said, if you don't, you, whichever one you, you can't serve both. So whatever one you choose, the other one you despise. If you choose to serve money, then you're actually despising God. You may not cross that way, or you may not think that way, but God says you're actually what you're doing. You can't serve both. You've got to make your choice, one or the other. Hallelujah! When you bow the knee to Jesus, then you will be free and free. John chapter 8, verse 36. We say, Jesus, you are my curiosity. You are my absolute Lord, absolute God. Now bow the knee to We do that. God says we can effectively despise the world. If we don't do that, then we despise the old hymn writer friend that said it best. Take my silver, my gold. Not a mite, but I would hold. Take my intellect and use every power as thou shalt be. I'm going to close this morning with a humorous tale. I trust it illustrates a serious story is told of a middle-aged man who seriously courted two women at the same time. Not a good idea. This man began to turn red. One of the women that he was dating was young. The other was well advanced. The elder woman, ashamed to be courted by a man younger than herself, made it a point that whenever her admirer visited would pull out some portion of his The young woman, on the contrary, I wish to become the wife of an old man, was equally zealous in removing every gray hair she could find on his head. Thus, sadly, it came to pass that between them both, he soon found he had not a hair left on his head. The moral of the story is, if you court two women at the same time, you'll get cast. That's a key story. It's a scary story. But it is a good story. You cannot devote yourself to two different lovers, O Lord. Precious friends, this world and the love of this world is a lesson lesson. Never treat this world to the word of God. our my treasure is in heaven. My trust is in the Lord. And my fruit is the blessing of the Lord. Hands about and on. We hope you enjoyed listening to the preaching and teaching from God's Word today. You can get more information about our church and about starting a relationship with Jesus Christ at www.thehomechurch.net. From all of us here at the Home Church in Lodi, California. Thank you for joining us.